Welcome to Thrive Radio, expert visionary and innovative business, life, and relationship advice to live a life of doing the impossible with your host, Amy Montgomery. Amy Montgomery, entrepreneur and digital marketing agency owner. Today, my guest is Bozidar Jovanovich. He's the founder and chief investment officer of Honey Badger Advisors. After more than 20 years in financial services, he decided to start his own firm with the motto, No Nonsense Financial Advice for Free Thinking, Freedom Loving People. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. It is a, it's a great pleasure to, to, to speak to you today, Amy. Yeah. I'm excited for our conversation, and I think that financial literacy is always a challenge for a lot of people, and so mm-hmm. I'm really excited, especially because there's so much conflicting information out there, so I'm excited about our conversation today. Absolutely. So to connect to what you said in the introduction, I used to work for a big, well-known bank, and I'm sitting one day in a meeting with, with my manager discussing some model I was making when an advisor comes in and says something like this. Oh, is this one of those things we only sell to doctors? And I think it was said halfway in as a joke, but it's actually not. There are lots of things like that going on, things that they're being sold. And that's what contributes to the fact that people are really wary of financial advisors or all this advice that's online. It doesn't help that every other week there is somebody who is convicted of doing something foolish and stealing. So... It's no wonder that 67% of Americans would rather see a dentist than talk to an advisor. But, <laughs> but that moment when I heard that, I made me realize, like, this is all wrong. So that's when the idea of, of Honey Badger Advisor was born. It's like, why would people just go to these places and get stuff sold to them, whereas you can actually get a proper advice that's actually tailored to your needs? And yeah. if you ever saw honey badger in the wild, it's a very fierce, small predator and known for one thing, it doesn't back down. And this is exactly how I see it. We don't back down. We stand and advocate for our clients at all times. Like that. So can you share a little bit about your background and what brought you to where you are today? Absolutely. So it's an unusual path, but maybe not so much. I, I have a PhD in physics. So I studied physics all my life. And then towards the end of my my career, I uh, decided I'm going to go to finance. So I became what's known as quant. I used my scientific knowledge to look into financials. And so I, I was in hedge funds. I was in long rolling funds uh, with my uh, corporate career culminating with the position of chief portfolio strategist for a private bank. So that will be the person that looks at all the portfolios that sets them up and then when the bankers or private uh, advisors uh, talk to the clients, they come back to me and say, how do we solve this problem? That's the, that's what I do. Which is also one part of the reason why things are not always easy because I'm not a salesman. And a lot of people who do this are salesmen. They can sell this product or that product. And I don't do that. I, I don't do any high pressure sales and anything like that. But the most important thing in the idea is I want to bring to, to, to my clients the institutional level experience and knowledge that they can't otherwise get elsewhere. Yeah, yeah. And it's so it's definitely needed because, like I said, there's so much uh, contradiction out there. So mm-hmm. 
let's talk a little bit about being financially prepared. What's you, what's your definition of that? How can individuals start to be financially prepared and what should that definition be? That definition is really dependent on every person. Like our lives are different, our goals are different and lifestyles are different. The being financially fit is different, but what's important is to start early. A person in their early 20s putting out a $500 a month at a modest return of about 6% will have over about a million dollars by the time they retire. Move that forward 20 years. And that, so if you skip those early years and start investing at 45, that amount drops to three, about 300,000. That is the power of saving. So the things that, that everybody needs to, to do is take the advantage of everything you have to, you have at your disposal retirement accounts, other investments, everything that's possible. There is a lot of advice going on the internet about, oh, don't do your 401k. That is probably one of the worst things that somebody can do, especially if you have a 401k at work and your employer does a match because that match is free money. So the number one thing is to start saving, to start doing it as early as you can. And even if it's just a little bit, start doing small and then start increasing as you can get comfortable with your expenses. The more you start saving, the better. And then what happens is that towards, uh, as you get preparing for the retirement, then there is a paradigm shift. Usually at the beginning, we all want to total return, get as much return as possible. But then towards when the as retirement approaches, we have to also worry about cash flow and making sure that we don't end up in a situation. For example, think about this, January 1st, 2008, and you just retired. And everything you have is in the stock portfolio. What happens in the middle of the year? You just lost 40%. At a time, we actually have to draw money from it. So that's one of the things that have to shift. And this is where the role of good financial advisor is to guide you from that early stage all the way through to, to the distribution when it comes to that. Something good. So let's talk a little bit about BlackRock. <laughs> <laughs> and I know that you're passionate about this and they have a Monopoly. way of, <laughs> yeah. And they want to promote the ESG, environmental, social, and governance investing. Can For those that don't understand what that is and why it's not good, can you explain a little bit on your perspective Absolutely. on that? Absolutely. So ESG investing has been prominent about last 10 years. So it says, as you said uh, correctly, environmental, social, and governance investing, which, mean, which is supposed to mean that the companies that would take care of the environment or social, social issues and governance issues. Unfortunately, what it is basically is a cudgel. It's a cudgel that to, to force certain leftist politics on companies, whether they're good or not. That way, the big three, I would say, but mostly BlackRock, they use their abilities and their size because collectively they own about 30, 40% of the market through their funds. They use their shares to vote in such policies. For example, that would mean that voting policies for Chevron to stop drilling. Uh, without us being actually ready to take on any other uh, reliable sources of energy. So the, the point for most people is, do we really want to support these companies that are forcing their issues on us? Or do you want us to invest in your 
own best interest because in the best interest of yourself, your family, your community, as we have done for many years. So now that everybody is starting to get awake, we are reading and saying, hey, this doesn't make sense. Think about it this way. One of the, one of the biggest darlings of ESG investors is Meta, former Facebook. Facebook is, has all the great ratings, but Facebook is one of the companies that has the dual share strategy. So dual shares is when you have A and B shares, A shares being for the insiders, like the early owners of the company that have an outsized voting power, and then B shares are sold to the public. Now, that would fall under governance, mm -hmm. but they're still a darling. On the other hand, you have you, you just had the recently that Tesla got downgraded on the ESG score. So it is pretty clear that this scoring is very arbitrary and is aligned with certain political interests. Mm -hmm. So one of the ways to, to, to deal with this is to invest in such a way that you we avoid BlackRock. At Honey Badger, we would not invest in BlackRock for that those particular reasons, because we believe that the interests of our clients are the number one thing and that outside interests do not have a place in that. We are opposed to, to so-called stakeholder capitalism because unless you bought it, you have no say. As yeah. simple as that's how it was for many years. The way to, to do that is we work with the organization, for example, Strive Asset Management is a fund provider that provides also ETFs of different types. They vote their shares for excellence. So they're actually holding management accountable for returning shareholder value as it should be. Yeah. So that way, one of the reasons for Honey Badger's existence is to give people who are free-thinking patriots, freedom-loving people, an option to not invest in the ways that they would big banks and big insurance companies would force them to. So the, the, the idea is to invest with your values and not allow others to impose theirs on your own money. Yeah, that makes sense. And, and it seems like they're everywhere. I, I, what was it? I was watching on the news, somebody break it down as far as how they're connected to Fox News mm -hmm. and potentially Tucker Carlson and him actually losing his spot because he was actually talking against them. It is quite possible that that there is there's lots of there's lots of money and money brings power, so that lots of things could happen. I obviously have no insider knowledge of that, yeah. but I do know that it's very important to be aware and to be to know how your money is invested. You want to work with you want to work with people who actually care about your own well being. Yeah. That's important. And I don't agree with the fact that you just give money to some company and then they like an investment fund and then they vote whatever their values are, regardless of what you have to say. One other aspect to that is, is this, the Black Rocks of this world, they managed to, to their size to push down the management fees of the funds to the point that it's almost unprofitable to even run the funds. And then the ESG comes in and now the ESG funds have fees that are about 10 times the regular non-ESG funds. That tells you something, doesn't it? <laughs> so you pay 10 times more for underperforming the market. And I'm sure that feels great for some people, but I don't think that's the way to go for, for the vast majority. 
Let's talk about those who have a high net worth. Mm-hmm. What are what's your key criteria for identifying the best investment opportunities for those people that are in that category? That so as as you get to high net worth stage, which is a good place to be if you can, it really depends on a lot of other things because high net worth implies you either have a business or a very high power career. So a lot of investments should complement what you do, right? A lot of people have. I've I've met people who have tons of wealth, but it's all tied up to one 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 stock or one company, and that's a dangerous combination. Once you get to that stage, then regular investments are just one part of your offering. There are also private investments. There is also real estate, commodities, different levels of wealth open up many different possibilities. Because some things like hedge funds and other alternative investments, they requires they require sophistication, they require a level of wealth to invest, and require patience and the ability for someone to sustain certain losses in a short term. That makes sense. So it's a prudent thing. But that means you need to to assess the entire situation and make sure that there are multiple lines of income for a portfolio. And also, it really depends on the family, on the person and the entire family, because it doesn't really matter what the numbers say if the person is uncomfortable with that level of investing. I have a client who is in his 40s, but his portfolio looks like his grandmother's because that's how he feels. And it's even though I can point out that, that he has capacity to take risk and do more, I cannot in good conscience force him to do that because he's not going to be sleeping well at night. That makes sense. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, definitely. So let's talk a little bit about the latest trends out there. There's all the crypto, Mm -hmm. all of that going on. And there's people that have lost money and there's just a lot of high risk. And I don't think a lot of people just, they don't really think about the high risk and uh, they get on the whole, just the excitement of everything. So can you give a couple examples of why it's not necessarily great to go after these things? And what are some other things to watch for? Yeah, this is actually a phenomenon of the maybe last 15, 20 years. You have the internet, there's all the information coming real time. You feel like you're actually in a trading room and it feels like it's at your fingertips. It doesn't help that you have all these internet gurus who say, oh yeah, this is it. This is why I make this money, how I make that money. I would like to remind your listeners, at least those who are my generation, there was a band that still is called ACDC. They have a song called It's a Long Way to the Top. In that song, there is a rhyme says, I tell you folks, it's harder than it looks. And this is this applies so well in, in this sense. It all looks easy until it's not. It all, all looks easy until the markets start going sideways or precipitously fall off the cliff. Crypto. I like the idea that you have a transnational currency that is not dependent on irresponsible government and printing money. Idea is great. Is the crypto the solution? I don't think so. It lacks... Number one thing is it lacks the stability that the currency has to offer. The swings are absolutely wild. So I know people call it cryptocurrency. It is a speculative commodity. It is a speculative commodity. So yes, when the, the worst thing I see is that, that when it's actually marketed, pushed towards people in the lower income tiers. And I try to explain to people, you have no capacity to lose 60 or 70% of that. 
I have a friend who used to work with me and he went to some very high-end schools, had friends who have, who were also in the early 20s, science of some very wealthy families. Imagine you're in 20s and you have three, two, four, five million as your net worth. As it turns out, as young people go and, and they went and invested in crypto. And last spring, one of them has lost 75% of his net worth. That's insane. Uh, all I could say is I told you so. The important thing for vast majority of people uh, is to understand this. Research shows in portfolio management, research shows that to 92% of returns on a portfolio are dependent on the asset allocation. So being in properly allocated different categories, large caps, small caps, bonds, all that, is responsible for almost 90%. So it depends on, on, on which research and which time scale goes, but that's about it. So let's just go with the lower 85% of your return is dependent on where you are. But that's not where people fo- focus their uh, efforts. Most people, especially if you are under the, the influence of the online gurus, would tell you that everybody wants to chase the next Google. Everybody wants to chase the next Apple. Yes, that would be great, but you can spend your lifetime not finding one. Because Thomas Edison, I think, said that it's great. I, I, it was very easy for me to discover the light bulb, except for all the 72 other methods that I actually failed before I got this one. <laughs> yeah. and, and that is exactly what it is. If you are high net worth, that's, also, that's a different story. Then it's easy to, relatively easy to sequester 30% of your portfolio and chase some of those unicorns and invest in, in startups. If all your worth, net worth is about a few hundred thousand dollars, I would say you have no business doing that. Yeah. You have no business doing that. You, your best bet is to try to invest in well-diversified portfolio that contains different elements. And when put together, they can absorb some of the downside so that you can smoothly go from A to B. That, I think, is the main goal. If you are, for the vast majority of people, you want to invest, you want to save for the future, you want to go from A to B without waking up in the middle of the night in sweat and say, oh, my God, what's going to happen? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's what it is. So I would say focusing on chasing a unicorn is a losing game for most people. It does take time. It does take a lot of effort to try to uncover that. This is where a good financial advisor comes in. As a friend of mine who is also a client says, I can't do that from the OR, operating room. And that is true. I actually been to the parties when with, with different professionals like doctors and such. And the moment people realize what I'm doing, I hear something along these lines. Oh, wow, I got this stock and I'm trading it and it's doing so great. I made so much money. And my question is, okay, so while you're trading, who is watching your patients or who is watching your business? Yeah. And I do my lunch break and my coffee break. So my next step is, okay, you think that during that one or two hours a day, you're going to do better than people on the other end, like me, who are doing this 10 hours a day, every single day. And then people realize, yeah, that is an issue, isn't it? Yeah. So. Yeah. And um, I've done that. I've gone out there and I've purchased stock that I shouldn't, I've, I've purchased stock that was, uh, when I first started to learn, I, I joined, they used to have this club called NAIC, I think it was, 
way back in the day. And it was teaching you how Mm -hmm. to about investments 101. And so I went out there and I invested in in petroleum and I invested in Starbucks and a couple others and they did really well, but I I ended up having to, I sold everything in because I needed the money because it was like <laughs> 2008 came. Yeah, I know. Uh, and, then, um, and but I was like, "Oh, but I'm I might be good at this." And so then I went and I I was so stupid. I went and I bought shares for Snap Snapchat. And, and it, that, that taint. Mm-hmm. And Did at you... that point I realized I know nothing. About <laughs> what <I'm doing. laughs> Here's a very important advice regarding that. It's not a problem to buy stocks. Even if you're a small investor, something, maybe you are in certain industry, maybe you know something about some, one of us, buy it, but don't go over, don't, don't go overboard. Don't make that your only investment. Don't make your 50% of the portfolio investment. Yeah. Take a piece, take a 10% and play with it. But there are two things. Whenever you buy something, you need to know why you're buying it, why you're buying it here, what are you seek, seeking to get from it, and where is the off-ramp? At what point are you willing to, to let go and, and, and go for it? And that off-ramp can be on the upside, also on the downside. Because in the end, yes, all there are all these great ideas and you can do a valuation, but the but market can stay irrational far longer than it can stay liquid. Mm-hmm. So the stock can be down, even though everything is fine, but it can be down. At what point do you unload it? Yeah. Yeah. Or you just made, it was just a point now with NVIDIA, for example, which I recommended last year to my clients and they tripled their money. And I said, at this point, yes, all the stuff is still there. The semiconductors are doing well, but at this point, I don't know if I'll be a buyer. Yeah. So some people are already taking profit and say, okay, let's scale down and wait and see what happens. So remember why you're buying it. What's the prospect? Why you're buying it here? And what is the off-ramp? When are you trying to get off? Those are important things. And make sure that's not the the the, the, um, the whole core part of your portfolio. I always take, tell the following story. Let's imagine it's 1890s. And you're investing in a stock market. And there is this really good company. It's making the rims, metal rims for the buggy cars. It's been some consolidation in this lately because there's this new startup. They don't use horses, horseless carriage, but we don't know it. That's not going to catch on, right? They're just the last one. They're really good at that. So pile up the money into that. How did that work out? Yeah. So that's the same thing. If you, so people are upset when I say something like this about Apple, but you got to remember there was Blackberry before Apple. Apple just swept them aside. It's very possible at some point in the future, there'll be something else. And that's where not putting everything into one stock is comes as important. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's, yeah, 50, 50, 50, 50 <laughs> chance you're going to win or lose. It may, it may go well, but at some point, and it, you know, if things go bad, they can go bad precipitously. Yeah. Yeah, Definitely. So let's talk about preparing for economic uncertainty. We talked a little bit about, I asked you about gold bars because I was out there Mm. buying gold bars. (laughs) That's something I thought, oh, like maybe I should have gold. (laughs) The only thing that I've realized about that is where I got them from, they're all in Sweden and they're in a a safe in Sweden. And at some point I've got to pay for them to come to to actually have them physically or I can sell them there. Mm What's your advice on some of that and what can people do to prepare for uncertainty? Cash flow is king. 
That's the number one thing. Yes, we are coming to certain times. And yes, we did have some rallies this year, but everything is flashing red. The yield curve is still massively invested, inverted. Sorry, the consumer is tapped out. We we have just break broke the, the ceiling of consumer credit at all times, the highest level of consumer debt. Things are not looking as good under the hood as they may seem. Gold and precious metals have all been a hedge against inflation, against uncertainties. And yes, you can actually allocate in a portfolio that that gold ETFs, or you can buy the physical gold. The thing with physical gold is that you got to store it somewhere, as you said, in Sweden, or you buy a safe and have it in a safe or have it in a bank in a in, in safe deposit box. Um, it is good to have it. Some of the people that I know who are very nervous, I give them the Europe experience from the, from the world wars. People will have have gold bars or or any kind of gold and jewelry, pack them in the in their in their clothes and just leave. That's the way it goes, and then you live off that for for as much as you need. So in that regard, that gives you some safety. But gold doesn't provide any cash flow. It's just a hedge against against inflation, against the uncertain times. As the things get a little more volatile, it's important to have cash flow generating investments. Right now, some treasuries do provide interest uh, in good interest rates. Obviously, anything I mentioned here, it really has to be customized to a person. You can't take any of this as at face value, just go and invest like that because it may not be appropriate for, for you. But it is in generally very important to have anything that generates cash flow. So if you own real estate that, that you rent out, that will be something. If you own bonds that provide income, that's good. Some of the stocks that, that will fare better would be the ones that provide hefty dividends. So that's one of the ways that's one of the ways to prepare for for uncertain times. Also to not, be not forgotten the cash reserves. Uh, in a certain especially if you are in some sort of tech industry, you have to be very astute and figure out if you are in danger of being laid off because that's the number one thing that happens. Usually about six months expenses is important, but that's something that should have been built by now. If not, start building it. Yeah. So that you have some way, something to fall onto if things get really difficult. Now you touched on this a little bit in the beginning of the podcast. We talked about working with big banks um, mm-hmm. for financial services. So what are the the benefits of working with a big bank and how can individuals ensure that they're not being led into investments that are not, not aligned with their goals? That's a difficult one, but yes, you have mutual funds. You have all of those offer offer different types of services. You have we have banks, mutual funds, you have insurance companies. And you have to remember these are big, com- big companies, especially with the banks. They have multiple lines of business. One is advice. The other one is of, of providing loans, taking securities to the markets, doing all sorts of different things, advising on mergers and acquisitions. All those things exist. All those things are conflicts of interest. And in that regard, that's a problem for the kind of advice you get. Same thing if you go with insurance company. There, the advice is buy buy a life insurance and work things from there. What does happen with big banks? If you have a company, if you have needs for loans, then that may be a solution for you. 
because you may get favorable interest rates on a loan. So if, if we're talking about tens of millions of dollars of loans, that's now we're talking about something serious. Half percent on $10 million may, may be a sizable amount of money over 10 years. Yeah. So that may be useful. But what you will get in there is you will have to pledge your money in there. So if you're working with them, they will offer loans, but that would be off your portfolio. Your portfolio has to be pledged to be there and they can be invested. Now, many of those can customize things and depends on, on your level of wealth. That's true. But say if you don't have about $20 million, you do not bring enough income to the bank to, to actually matter much. So usually when you're less than $20 million, you go to a call center or you're serviced by a 25-year-old recent graduates who are just learning how to do the work. Mm-hmm. If you have more than $20 million, no problem. They'll parade everybody from the CEO down to, to come and shake your hand. That's a different story. However, uh, can you ensure that they are not investing the, the way you don't like? You can't. A lot of banks do have the ESG policies and uh, their funds would be married to this. Plus, there are, there are also other issues in terms of they will be structuring products and this has to move. So this, the, the bankers, the private bankers, advisors, however you want to call them, have incentive to be selling products because it's built, it's in the inventory, it provides very nice commissions, but that is it good for you? That's a different story. Yeah. You will be definitely sold a lot of stuff if you're in a bank or in the insurance company. You will be sold products. That's what it is. I know that many people say they're fiduciaries, but you really cannot be a fiduciary if you're working for a bank because of all these different lines of interest. So in my opinion, you only you can only be a fiduciary if you are independent like me. So independent advisory, RIA, uh, standing for registered investment advisor, that is probably the only way to actually be a fiduciary and actually care about your client's best interest. I like that. So what about small business owners and Mm -hmm. retirement plans? How soon should they actually create one? What size does their business have to be to create a retirement plan? And how does that actually help them? This is actually a very good question. Small business owners usually don't want to think about it. And I understand that. I own a small business. It consumes you. There is a lot of things to be going on. You wear multiple hats. Oh, I'm going to think about that now. Well, you actually have to. And a good retirement plan is is something you should create right away. There are so many of these now nowadays, and they're not that expensive. Because as soon as you can cut a check to yourself, so your business has some sort of profit, as soon as you have employees, you should have a retirement plan because all that goes in there is taken off your top line. It's taken before taxes. And that's very important. Plus, you get some tax credits for setting up the plan. And if it's set up properly, it's also a retention tool because the plan can be a basic 401k, which you get usually from the payroll providers, but can be also customized. Things that I provide to my clients would be customized. And you have the basic 401k, then you have matching, then you can have profit sharing which all amount to allowing owners, depending on the situation, to save even up to $66,000, which is something that you only can do these days in a SEP IRA. So it is very important. This is a kind of way to take some money out, put it in there, 
and invest in your retirement. Yes, I understand. Most of people who are, especially in the startup phase, I'm plowing everything into this because this is what needs to succeed. That's all fine. Just always keep in mind the time. Eventually, the time will come for that. Yes, you will. maybe you'll sell your business. Maybe your children will take over. No one knows. But <clears throat> when you sell the business, there'll be tax due on that. You have a retirement plan. You already took it away before taxes. And another part of that, it's also very important. That's where a good, good financial advisor comes in. Let's say you're a doctor, a lawyer, or a plumber, electrician. You have your own business. You have a small business or medium-sized business. You are invested into it. This is your passion. This is what you love to do. On top of that, you want to think about your finances and investing. Do you have time for that? The right way to do it is to have a quarterback, somebody who can you can consult with and just let's put the money in and let's discuss where we're going with this. And somebody is there to watch over them and just call and say, hey, this is what we bought. Here it is. It's hitting the target. We should sell now. We should do why. So you have somebody to watch that for, that over you for you. And that way you have a peace of mind. Yeah, definitely. So what about life insurance? This mm-hmm. is another buzzword that I hear out there <laughs> and everyone's saying, go and get your life insurance and, and you can take loans out on it and all of that. But I don't think that everyone really understands what that actually means. They just think it's uh, free money. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's not free money. You're actually paying for it. But life insurance is an important product. Is what I would call risk management. It off, off, offloads the risk that you can't bear to somebody who can. So most people that do not have the money to leave to for their dependents to live normal life if something happens to them. That's where life insurance comes in. And there are term life insurance policies, which is very simple. For X amount of years, this is the premium. You pay for it. And at the end of the, if you die, your heirs get this. If nothing happened, very great, very good. You're happy. Everybody's happy. Insurance company got the premium. You didn't die. Fantastic. So that's the most common. And for most people, that's all you need. Because you needed to cover that sort of expense so that your dependents do not follow hard times. That's basically what it is for. Now, there are other products, of course. There's whole life insurance, which is basically a policy that lasts un- until 120 or or you di- or until the day you die, or different index policies and variable policies. The issue with that is that uh, those premiums are far more expensive. I just did a quote for someone, and the whole life policy, exactly the same kind, versus the term life is about 10 times more expensive. Wow. Yes. So the whole life policy is basically an insurance policy which is married to a CD, to a savings account. As that savings account grows, you're able to borrow against the policy. That's that infinite banking, infinite cash flow kind of stuff. The advantage is that there is no credit check or anything you basically borrowing because you have this huge policy. Many times you don't even have to return the, the, the loan because it's going to be satisfied from the death benefit. You're still alone. There's still interest which accumulates in there. And it, those rates are very high. As I said, it's sometimes about 10 times as, as much as the regular policy. Is it worth it? Could you do better investing that money somewhere else? 
that's a good question and it really depends on the situation i would say if you are in a lower income brackets if you're not a millionaire probably not the best thing for you you probably don't need to invest in, in into a whole life policy or any other permanent policies now if you have a business if you have extensive real estate holdings things that are illiquid that's a different story because a whole life policy can be used as a way to offset a death tax. If properly used, a whole life policy can be put into what's called ILIT, Irrevocable Life Insurance Trust, which bypasses your estate. At least that's the state of the laws now. We know that the crowd in DC may be putting their hands on that at some point, but for now, it bypasses the estate. So what happens is that if you have these extensive holdings, if you have a business and something happens to you, you have 90 days to, to 120 days to sell it and, and satisfy hefty tax bill. This way, you get a life insurance. Life insurance pays out tax-free money. You pay the, the, the tax and the business and real estate holdings, everything else stays intact. Or you can take more time to sell it to find a proper sell. Because one thing you don't want to do if is a business owner is do a fire sale. Fire sale, you're going to get a big haircut, maybe 20%, maybe 30%, who knows? And that basically cuts your airs where it really hurts. So there are uses for life insurance policies, but it's it really depends on your situation. And I would say, unless you have extensive illiquid holdings, probably not necessary. But, you know, there is always a way... Uh, to discuss and that's something that that anyone who is listening should should discuss with their financial advisor whatever is the whatever is the is the best policy there but there is another aspect of of insurance which is disability a lot of people talk about life insurance this a life insurance that sheer fact is this a young man 25 year old man is four times more as likely four times as likely to get disabled between that time and full retirement than to die. It's a much more dangerous and much more important thing to take care of. Usually it's taken care of through, through employment. Employment packages usually provide some sort of disability, which is important. But if you are self-employed, if you own your own firm, it's very important aspect that should never be neglected. Because specifically for it, and it doesn't mean you fall or something. You could be a surgery. It could be an illness or something like that, which renders you incapable of working for a couple of months. This is where it comes in. The, the disability insurance kicks in to actually cover that gap in case you cannot work. With disability insurance, you're insuring your ability to work. I like that, especially for small business owners. Uh, if you know, small when, business... When- because if you don't work, you've got to have something there. Yeah. Right? If you don't work for three months, you could be out of business. <laughs> exactly. You could be out of business. And not just that. If you're in any service-oriented business where you actually have to see people, and let's say you need to, who knows, like a surgery or something, then what? Yeah. And maybe you have associates who, who can take over, which is great, but it's still a, a great risk. So it is something to be very much aware of and make making sure that, that you do not skip on that one. A lot of people do because it's expensive and a lot of insurance companies have stopped offering them. It's They're still there and they're still important and something not to be forgotten. So can you give one piece of advice 
for people that are listening that might want to improve their financial situation, regardless of their current financial status, Mm -hmm. some of your, what are some of the top things that you would suggest just in general? Obviously we don't know who, what their income is. Tune out the hype. Information overload is going to be detrimental to, to, to your financial or other health. We have, there is so much information coming from everywhere and giving you all sorts of ideas. It is harder than it looks, but people who can just read and understand things, the number one thing is to have time. So if you feel that you're overwhelmed, talk to somebody somebody who, who actually can help you out. Talk to a trusted advisor um, and not to Uncle Bob who has made so much money in the 70s by investing in Microsoft or something like that. Um, <laughs> because it takes much more than a few little tricks to get to to a good place. I would say start investing as soon as you can and tune out the hype. Get a plan and stick to the plan. That's the recipe for success. I like that. So if you're able to give yourself one piece of advice when you first started out, what would it Mm. be? I uh, should have thought much thoroughly more about about sales process. I come, as I said, from quant, from portfolio management. That's where my expertise is, not in sales and the things that, that people in sales like to do, which is talking and doing presentations in bars and golfing and all that sort of thing. I don't do that. So my approach to that is educational, like having conversations like this. So if I could go back, I would probably say, okay, we need to think much better how the sales channel would work. And I think it's essential in any business to do that because you can have the best product out there if people don't know about it. Doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't I, you matter. Know, it's true. I was talking to a, a new business owner yesterday and we were they were talking we were talking about just lead generation. And I said flat out, I said it's Right now, if your business is new, it's quantity. You've got to meet as you got to meet thousands of people. We don't know how to do that. I'm like, I'll help you. There's a million ways you could do it, but you've just got to choose one way and just reach thousands of people, at least when you're first starting out. Because yeah, if you don't, you're going to meet one person here, one person there, and it's going to be a long time coming before you get enough clients to survive. Yeah, that is, that is, that is the reality. Yeah. That is the reality. That's the uh, no matter how what it is, it, the sales process is uh, is the essential to any business. This is why in big companies, it's the it's a sales branch that brings all the CEOs. CEOs come from the sales. Yeah. And I remember in my last corporate job, I used to work with head of sales. His motto was, "Give me how many minutes I have. You wind me up. Tell me five minutes. I have a five minutes presentation." 10 minutes, I have 10 minutes. 30 minutes, I have 30 minutes. Give me time, wind me up, I'm going. That's, <laughs> and now I know I understand much more what that really means, but it is important. Yeah, most definitely. So if there's somebody that's listening that would love to work with you, what's the best way to contact you? Just go to the website, uh, www.hbria.com. Honey Badger Registered Investment Advisory. There is a contact form there. Send me a message and we'll get in touch and and we'll discuss the details. 
Okay. That's the easiest way. Or even send an email to info at hbra.com and it's going to get to me and we'll get going right away. Okay. And I'll put the links down below as well. Thank Thank you so much. Thank you so much for coming on today and sharing your expertise. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you very much for having me. It's a great pleasure to talk to you. It's really great. And if you're listening, you want more information about this podcast and upcoming shows, you can visit acalltothrive.com. Thank you, everyone, and have a wonderful day.